everybody, and welcome to Fortress Comic News, episode 329.1. That's right, another point one episode. So for this episode, we are talking to Evan Carruthers. Evan's uh, book series, Tox, is on Kickstarter right now. He's uh, looking to fund issues three and four on there. And we talk a little bit about that, about his past in tabletop role-playing, uh, the board game scene, things like that, and where his uh, love for creating comics come from. So it's a great conversation that I hope you all enjoy. Before we get to that, though, just remember, you can always follow me at Fortress Chris on pretty much any social media, including X and the Blue Sky and all that fun stuff. And if you want to follow the show, you can follow us at Fortress Comics underscore on X, or you can go to FortressComicNews.com. And if you want to go the extra mile, we have the Patreon at patreon.com slash Fortress Comics. So check that out as well. And if you want to support the show in a uh, non-monetary way, an amazing way to do it is to like, subscribe, share, comment down below on the YouTube versions of the show, or to give us a five-star review on the podcatcher that you use or with mobile reviews. That helps a ton. But enough of that. Let's get over to my conversation with Evan, and I hope you all enjoy. All right, everybody, we got another very special guest for you all. I want everybody to welcome to the show Evan Carruthers. Welcome, Evan. Hey, nice to be here. Thanks for joining me. And uh, I want to apologize. Uh, I've been doing this all past couple weeks. If crazy noises happen behind me, I had a cat that just had surgery. And right now he's asleep, but at any moment he could just get yeah. up and start howling. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. Evan, uh, it's your first time on the show. First time I get to chat with you, so I got to put you through the gauntlet of the origin story. Um, how did you get into comics, and then at what point were you like, I want to create these things? Sure. Um, so I got into comics a little late in life compared to other people. Um, I grew up in northern Wisconsin where there was not comic shops anywhere near me, uh, and I got into comics uh, as a reader when I got into college, and I had a little bit more access to them. And I've had a big passion for tabletop gaming my whole life. I'm a huge nerd with pretty much every category of nerd I might get into. And I have a side business uh, called EC3D that I've been doing for getting on 10 years now that's focused on tabletop gaming. So I do 3D modeling for uh, 3D printing of like miniatures and scenery. And uh, I create supplements and like battle maps, all kinds of stuff in that category. And, you know, tabletop gaming requires a lot of similar stuff to comic writing, like thinking about storylines, world building, all that kind of stuff. And one of the projects I did was a sci-fi project called the Ignis Quadrant. And I started making tabletop gaming stuff for this. And as I got more and more into it, I was like, you know, I really want to get this into a more visual medium. And I've always wanted to do comics. So I just kind of did my research, figured out what I would need to do to, you know, do it, kind of make it look professional and uh, work with a good editor to get me on the right, the right starting path and then just kind of dove into it. So were you doing like, uh, when you say tabletop, more board games, more RPGs? Uh, what were you into? Um, so my personal interests lie a little bit more in the RPG category, but the stuff that I create is uh, pretty agnostic. It's designed to be used for, you know, you can use stuff for like board games like Zombicide or, or skirmish games or uh, tabletop games. It's kind of agnostic, like different miniature, you know, designs and scenery that can be used for different set pieces and stuff. 
Awesome. Yeah, I, I so I'm also a huge tabletop fan. I oh, nice. have regular nights of like board game nights with my friends and like right now two D and D groups that get together. So uh, nice. I'm definitely in that camp. Uh what was the, the sci fi thing that you were thinking of moving over? Was that Tox or is that something else? No, so that that was called the Ignis Quadrant. Um so one of the things I did with my tabletop gaming was kind of find categories that didn't really have a lot of stuff in it yet that I thought I could really be impactful in and really kind of be creative in. So I did some D&D stuff for a while, like really fantasy focused, you know, your traditional D&D agnostic type stuff. And then I got into sci-fi more. I've always been into it personally, but I didn't do a lot of gaming in that category. Uh, but I had a chance to play a little Starfinder uh, and that kind of got me hooked into that. That's a Paizo product. That's kind of the sci-fi version of Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. And that was what I kind of targeted initially for the miniatures and scenery I created. But then it, it's stuff that could work for like five parsecs from home. Um, there's a, just a number of open world kind of sci-fi RPGs. So the idea with it is it's just all these characters and figures that people can use for their, their PC characters or build NPCs around that can be, you know, agnostic. But as I started to build this, I, you know, started ideating this world and story in my head that was a little bit more, you know, my own angle on it. And that was what eventually spun into the idea for this comic. And did you ever, have you ever made that comic or is that still something yeah. that you're working on? Yeah, that was the first one I did. So I kickstarted um, each issue that is a five issue miniseries uh, with a, a prequel issue. So I did five Kickstarters for that. Uh, that was my first comic um, publication, which I self-published. So that's done. You can buy that online, um, physical or digital. And I'm working on the next story arc for that now. And that's, you know, I've done a lot of stuff since then, but I would say that's still kind of my, my first love is that that world. How many books have you done uh, since then? I mean... Yeah, so I have that that series, which is has one trade, one collected trade of six issues. And then I did a, another Kickstarter called uh, Mixology Noir, which is a double feature horror book. And then Tox now is the one that I have going live, which is another five issue miniseries. And I have like six or seven other ones in various stages of completeness at the moment. Oh, man. So you're hard at work making a bunch of different cool stuff. Oh, I'm thoroughly addicted. <laughs> what was it about comics that uh, drew you in as opposed to just continuing with the tabletop stuff? Yeah, I mean, so I still do the tabletop. This is like a kind of a new thing I'm doing at the same time. I still love the tabletop gaming. Mm-hmm. But the thing about comics that's awesome is like, I what I love about comics is the experience of creating it myself as much as anybody reading it. I mean, if to be truly frank, like, I don't love selling comic books, but it's a necessary evil to to continue to create them. Like, I'm not a huge fan of having to do, you know, position it in the market, like do all that fun stuff. Or not, not always fun stuff. I just love the act of creating it, like putting the story on paper, getting out from what's in my head, and then having, you know, a really good artist kind of lend their vision to it as well. And just the act of seeing this come to life is unbelievably rewarding. And you can do so much fun stuff with comics that you can't do like, I love doing tabletop gaming, especially 3D stuff. Like, you build these big worlds. They're physical. You can see them. But you're still limited by, you know, how much time you have. If you want to sit and paint all this stuff, you know, how much money you want to spend and storage you have for all this stuff. But you can build in a gigantic, you know, insane world with special effects, with huge, giant star cruisers, with all these different things. And it's affordable because it goes on paper, right? And you just got to have a good artist to bring it to life. Yeah, that's why when it came to tabletop, I love board games, but uh, RPGs were always so much more fun because it's it's just a pad of paper and your imagination. Like, yep. 
<laughs> we didn't need a whole lot to get it done. And it just made it so much more fun. Uh, yeah, that that's interesting. So sitting here with me right now, you're just a miserable mess. You can't stand being here with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's, I mean, I didn't mean to be over dramatic there, but if I, you know, if, if I had unlimited money, I would hire someone to sell the comics and I would spend my time and energy creating them. Right. Um, I love talking about that stuff because at the end of the day, it's exciting when other people get into and excited about the thing that you create and you're mm-hmm. like, Oh shit. Like there's, there's more people than just me that, you know, think this is a cool story. Like the analogy I tell people, if you're into tabletop gaming, particularly RPGs for me, anyway, creating a comic series is like being a, a dungeon master um, and also playing every character at the same time. Like I'm doing every aspect of an awesome, well put together, in my opinion, RPG. And I'm doing, you know, I'm playing every character. I'm designing the story. I'm designing the world. And it, I get the satisfaction of every one of those roles at the same time. Yeah. I, <laughs> is so it's like being a dungeon master and playing everything at the same time. But I always find the fun of being a dungeon master is how do I fuck with all the characters? Oh, yeah. Well, you got to kind of you kind of got to do that with yourself. You got to shoot your darlings a little bit and add some add the drama in there to keep the, you know, keep it keep yourself and the readers guessing. Yeah, I remember actually a recent uh game we were doing and I was the only one in the party that could talk to the other race that we were with. And so mm-hmm. me and the DM were just back and forth like discussing what we're going to like what's going on what we're going to do and i'm just like telling everybody like no just trust me just do this and i literally right. just like took everybody in the side quest and then we got to it everybody's like so what's going on i'm like oh yeah we're gonna fight a bunch of orcs right now and there was like, what are you doing and i just yeah. I, I love that moment where i got to take the the entire campaign and just move everybody along with me as if i was the dm in that moment right it's those fun moments uh are great how do you find when you're creating them like you get to have those kinds of moments in your own head while you're making these stories oh 100 percent. and you know when you think about a story arc or you know plot line whatever you want to call it it's you you have kind of the rough story beats broken down in your head initially but when pen hits the paper and you're actually like scripting these individual issues or breaking them down you know things change and you come up with like oh maybe this i should do this or that was a bad idea i'm going to rework this and it leads you into places you never expected the story to go much like, you know, in a good tabletop gaming or RPG session, like the DM might have a rough plan, but if you get a good fun group of players, that shit goes off the rails real fast and ways that can be very entertaining and fun. And like I said, you know, I'm a big fan of sitting down, you know, late at night with a whiskey and kind of just jotting my notes down on paper and coming up with this stuff. And it's just kind of like a playground for my brain. I mean, it feels very similar to a really good pen and paper session when I'm creating these things. That's awesome. So you've, you've created all these great stories and uh, labeled your label is woven press. Correct. Correct. So it's all under there. And uh, now you are on Kickstarter once again with uh, yep. your latest issue of Tox. So I, I guess a great way to start is just what is Tox? Yeah. So Tox is a post-apocalyptic story about uh, the, a world in which, Humanity fucks up and kind of damages the ozone layer in a way that uh, prevents the ozone layer from working as it's intended, which is to prevent like radioactive harmful rays from space to hit the earth. So suddenly the earth is getting bombarded by radioactive waves, uh, gamma rays in space, and it mutates people. It kills the land. It does all kinds of terrible shit. Uh, So this was 30 years ago. Humanity is now sterilized and driven underground. 
Uh, all the species on Earth have mutated because of all this radiation. And 30 years from now, this woman, Claire, finds herself pregnant miraculously. And the story is about her uh, kind of determining what it means to be a mother in a world where that wasn't even possible for humanity. Uh, what, you know, the shifting landscape of, you know, a child coming into the world means for all these different factions. You know, some view it as a resource, some view it as salvation. She doesn't, you know, exactly know what it means yet. And it's kind of, you know, a lot of things rolled up in one, but it was initially very much created by my experience of uh, me and my wife having our first child during the pandemic. So there's a lot of uh, kind of personal stuff written into this as well. And this first, so the first issue here I have on screen, the, the cover a yeah. is a very shocking image. <laughs> yeah. I, I debated about how this would be received, but I'm like, you know, in a wasteland where your life expectancy is short and you know, I didn't mention all the details of this world, but part of what happens is you get, you're constantly getting radiated. So you have to do this process called toxing. Hence the name tox that, that stops this radioactive mutation from happening, but also risks you immediately mutating rapidly. So like life is, is a, not a guarantee. Right. So no one told her when she was a kid, like you shouldn't smoke when you're pregnant. Right. They're like, we're going <laughs> to live every day at a time. Yeah. I, I think especially in our, in this day and age, I mean, just, the image of a pregnant woman smoking conjures some thoughts of a lot of people. Did you get a lot of slack for that first, first time you, you brought know, that out? I didn't, I think every, I think it, the intended effect was had. I mean, if you read the book and anyone that reads it is going to understand like, that's not who she is necessarily, but it's very much kind of an homage to like a tank girl, you know, a wasteland throwback as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got a, a tank girl vibe from it. And, I mean, immediately it, it clicks with me because that post-apocalyptic feeling, that right. kind of fallout, if you've ever played that video game. Oh, best um, franchise that's ever existed, in my opinion. Yeah, so it gives that feeling with, like, a, a strong punk rock vibe, which is always close to my heart. So it just oh, yeah. it immediately hit hard. And I, I love the shocking nature of it. I, I think there's a necessity in this world for a little bit of shock value um, in it. Yeah, I think uh, it came, like I said, it, the impetus of the story was in COVID. Like, it was right in the heart of it when my wife went into labor, and we couldn't even have family members in the hospital with us. You know, it was just us. Every nurse and doctor had, you know, uh, PPE gear on, so you could barely see their eyes, and the whole experience felt very crazy. And I was like, God, can you imagine, like, what if this was even worse? Like, if this was a true wasteland experience, and that was where the idea for the story came from. Yeah, that's, that's crazy because – you know, we all we all have our own COVID stories, and oh, yeah. I know a lot of people are at, at wit's end with the whole COVID story thing. But I mean, it was a part of all of our lives, so it's important yeah. to talk about. And for me, it's like as just a single guy who was working and considered "quote unquote" essential. I, I the most. I had a similar feeling to you with that post-apocalyptic feeling, but to me, it yeah. was like I was driving. And there's just nobody. Oh, yeah, I imagine. <laughs> like, I was driving in a big city, and you just saw nobody. Like, where, Last like, of Us vibes. Yeah, where a month earlier, there's people everywhere. They're walking all over the place. Like, mm -hmm. you almost were telling yourself, like, man, I just wish people would go away for a minute. And then they did. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets eerie. So, And I do like that you, you decided to take this check and not just do the 
in my opinion, lazy and overplayed of like COVID, the comic <laughs> that a lot of yeah. people were doing. I was like, okay, I get it. We can tell these stories in a little bit more of a, a creative way, please. And uh, right. it seems like that's what you did here. Um, so you're back on Kickstarter with this. Yeah. And you're doing it's issue four. It's issue. So I did two double issue campaigns. So the first one okay. was issue one and two bundled. And then this one is issue three and four uh, with mm-hmm. obviously back issues available. So it's, it's a five issue miniseries. And as a reader of comics, I hate single issues. It's just like, give me, give me more meat on the bone, please. So that was why I kind of wanted to do two at a time. Oh, really? I am a huge fan of the the month to month format. So I, I do kind of agree with you when it comes to Kickstarter, because yeah. when I get my, my daredevil, I get it every month. Right. But, it's like 30 days uh, or you know one month consistency, right? Like Kickstarter is never exactly month to month format. Yeah. So that was that part of the reason that you, you went that route was it was. Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've backed so many Kickstarters myself where it's like, even the most aggressive, you know, Kickstarter creators in the, in the game are still, it takes time to print and fulfill and do everything after a rapid campaign. So you're still never getting those books every month. And it's important to keep these things like top of mind. And then as a creator, there's, there's a lot of mental overhead in the Kickstarter campaign. So being able to do three campaigns for a five issue miniseries instead of five campaigns is big, you know, for my mental sanity. And how, I mean, this is your, however many you've done Kickstarter, how have the previous ones gone for you? Have you been seeing a, a building in your fan base over time? Yeah, uh, the Agnes Quadrant was pretty great. I I had a a nice uh, like list of folks that supported my tabletop gaming that came over to the comic stuff as well. So that was pretty successful. Uh, then I mentioned I did that horror uh, noir double feature. That was not as successful as my sci-fi, but it was quite a deviation, you know, from the stuff I had done historically. Uh, and Tox is is doing well as also. Um, Tox is also being published in the direct market by Blood Moon, uh, so it's coming out to comic shops. The first issue. Uh, final order cutoff was, or it was supposed to be in July 19th is when it came to the shops, but it's been a few weeks delayed in printing. But um, you should be able to find talks in the shelf in a week or so here in, in local comic shops that buy indie stuff. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, I got to imagine that's, especially for the indie crowd, that's tough because you make a name for yourself doing one thing and obviously you're creative, so you want to do multiple things. Sure. And uh, someone like, for instance, I probably would have been one of those people who said, I love sci-fi. I'll check out the sci-fi book and I enjoy it. Get through. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's Evan's next thing? Horror? Eh, I'm not really a horror yeah, not guy. Your so. for sure. <laughs> no, and I, I don't blame people for that. I mean, everyone has their preferences for sure. Yeah. Have you, has there been a lot of like, uh, does Kickstarter give you the metrics to say these people are coming back even from, not just from project to yeah. project, but from uh, issue to issue? So Kickstarter doesn't do that, but Backerkit, uh, which is a common piece of software pe- that you people use on top of Kickstarter, does do that. You can it connects to your Kickstarter accounts and imports uh, your previous backer list and lets you see who's returned backers, lets you market and email the people that backed your previous stuff that aren't on your current projects. So that's pretty much everybody that does Kickstarter is using Backerkit or a similar mm-hmm. platform on top of it. Okay, so let's take a look at the campaign. I know you got... Yeah. So when we're... Airing this, you'll have uh, just four or five days left. 
But as we stand now, you are getting close to your funding goal with quite a few yep. backers, 94 backers. That's nothing to uh, sneeze at right there. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I'm sure How... you're familiar with this, and most people are. But like Kickstarter, the way it works is you get a huge influx of folks at the beginning, hopefully, yeah. and then a lot of people you know, sign up to get notified of progress, and then they get notified 48 hours uh, before it ends. So I would say... 80% of the funding of my and most Kickstarters is in the first 48 hours and the last 48 hours. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident that we'll get across the finish line at the end. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're even that far with time to go. Yeah. That last three or four days, I'd say you could easily pass the mark and you probably even do it before then. Oh, for sure. Yep. Um, this is one thing I've been loving about Kickstarter recently, and it's all due to how they change their, uh, the back end and doing add-ons and everything these mm -hmm. nice clean tiers <laughs> oh yeah and, and they finally added support for images in the tiers like yeah we've been waiting for that for years uh have you noticed was there any thought of doing some big four five hundred dollar tier get this special thing for tox or did you yeah i mean i thought about that but Honestly, like historically, I've done a lot less variant covers, but I wanted to try an option with more variant covers because it one, it gives me personally an opportunity to work with more artists, which I love. Uh, but two, you know, some you see some Kickstarters that have like 20 covers, which is insanity. But, you know, there's a balancing act. Uh, so I wanted to try a few more covers and I wanted to also create something at a little bit higher level. But I, you know, I really feel like. I wanted to spend my time and energy focusing on creating more comics and even, you know, the next talks issues versus having to, you know, do graphic design for like collector's boxes or figure out how I can really crank up the pricing. And the, one of the things that I personally do is that the comics are done. If not, or mostly if not completely done before I kickstart them. So I, it's really tough for me to do stuff like having people drawn into issues or things that other creators do, you know, that are kind of a higher price item. And it's all done digitally, so I don't have any original art to sell or for the artist to sell. So I'll, I might explore some of that stuff in the future, but I'm, I guess I'm relatively new to Kickstarter. So this is my, what would be my seventh comic Kickstarter. So I didn't really get too crazy on the high end, but it's something I'll definitely consider in the future. Yeah, it's it's tough because I see some of those go really well. And... I think it more it works better for artists who are kickstarting their book, but I I just think some people go a little crazy because just do a few variant covers, put out the book, have a reasonable yeah. goal, and you'll do well as long as you can promote it and do all that stuff. I don't think mm -hmm. you do much more. The caveat there is what is the book and what is the audience. I mean, I've been right. kind of diving into the world of the the not safe for work comics not that i'm a fan sure. i'm just curious as a oh for sure person watching and in that world that's the world where you want like 20 varying oh, covers <laughs> that's i'm so interested psychologically about like the the science of that i've i have a few series coming down the pipe that have um you know female leads and i'm like god do i do an, an nsfw cover just to try to pull in some of that you know that audience because i think it's Obviously, like there's people that love that stuff. There's yeah. plenty of campaigns that are really successful, but I also feel like you're going to get other comic fans that see that and they're like, you know, this isn't what I'm into, and immediately alienate them from the project entirely. I think where I always come from 
And I was having, I don't know if you know who Pat Shand is, but I was having this conversation oh, sure. with Pat Shand. And Pat used to work for Xenoscope. Mm-hmm. And Pat loves that, that not safe for work, the kind of oh, yeah. sexualized. Cheeky, right? Isn't that his, yeah. his uh, imprint? And one of the things, I can't remember if this is on camera or off camera, but I'm, I'm sure he doesn't mind either way. One of the things I was always curious about was, I think the thing that drew me away from Xenoscope was the fact that they did those covers as the A cover. So like when mm-hmm. I opened up previews, that's what I saw. So I'm like, mm-hmm. oh. And the joke was like, look at the booby comics. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like I got sent a few, and I'm like, holy crap! Like these are actually kind of good comics for sure with good stories. So it it drew that line for me of like, okay, that old adage of don't judge a book by its cover, but it's comics. Yeah, so yeah. Of course we do. And I think the best thing to do, and I told him that he doesn't work there anymore, but uh, mm-hmm. I told him this is like, if that's, unless the book is about that, I think the best thing to do is make that the variant. And then the people who love right. that will come for it. And then someone like me, who's the variants were actually more interesting and actually sold the book better to me. And I thought that would work better for the wider audience. So, but it is a fine line because who is your lead character? What, you know, Right. And all that. What message is that sending about them before you even open the book? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, are you trying to tell a very serious story about somebody and then immediately sexualize them? It's It's, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple of thoughts on that. Like one thing that's interesting to me working with so many artists now is that, you know, for an artist to get really good at art, they have to be students of human anatomy, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and anybody, when they start focusing on anatomy and understanding anatomy, both, you know, you know, male and female figure, whatever you might be looking at, you realize like the, just the, the lines of the curves, the things that are appealing to the eye. And I think all artists, even if they're not into drawing, you know, NSFW stuff, like just love drawing anatomy. So I think it's, it makes sense for a lot of artists to kind of naturally enjoy, enjoy drawing that kind of stuff. And I don't think it even necessarily is sexualized to them when they're doing it. They're just like, I'm doing art of anatomy here, you know? It's yeah, it's, a strange back and forth because I've tried to discuss it with a few different people in that they're into that world because to me, I'm like, I don't get it. It does nothing for me. It's, it's just unappealing. Like I, yeah, all that, but it's not necessarily a, I want to put this as tame as possible. It's not like super sexual for them. Like they're going home and, you know, looking at it in the dark under the pillow or something, but right. Right. (laughs) But there's something just appealing about it. And I've even seen it not just to say about women, but I've even seen some of it in the the male space too, where it's like, it's, you know, dudes in awkward positions that (laughs) don't make sense to me either. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's a interesting conversation in comics that I've just been diving into. Um, Yeah. yeah, I have an upcoming book I'm working on um, that's a espionage spy action series, and it's a female lead who is a, a fashion model that is also moonlighting as an assassin. And that's mm-hmm. one where I'm playing around with some NSFW covers. But it's an angle of uh, I'm working. I'm doing a couple of these, and I'm working with the artists that are creating them to create the you know the cover standard cover where she's clothed, but then there's a variant cover where there's a, you know some stuff revealed. It's it's mostly just like topless nudity and it's not smut it's tasteful but then other aspects of the cover are changed like it's instead of a day scene it's a night scene and it's you know a different wig and like tweaking it a little bit so it's 
50% of the cover is the same, but the SFW and the NSFW are also like interesting, different representations of the, like an art take on it. I'm hoping that's kind of an interesting thing for the audience when I get to that point of releasing that one. And that that's something that sounds to me like it works for the story. I mean, I think so, but yeah. we'll see how we'll see how it's received. Because you know, I I say that it turns me off, but at the same time, I'm a huge Bond fan, and it's not like every woman on every cover of a Bond movie is, you know, the most power posed woman in the world. <laughs> yeah, like we all know what's going on right. there. But yeah, so I mean, I, yeah, I think it's the difference over. between. Oh yeah, sure. I, I just I wanted to talk about because I was looking through the book and looking through the Kickstarter today and for talks. And one of the things that jumped out to me, and it's I've been noticing it more and more on Kickstarter because it used to be this thing on Kickstarter of like it's a really good book, but like it's a Kickstarter book. Sure. And one of the things that a lot of people have been up in their game on, it seems like you have as well, is the art. So like here we got the cover to issue three. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just blown away by how good the art is on this book. So I'd just love for you to sing the praises of your art team here. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I have to give credit where credits due. Like all these artists I've worked with are amazing. Um, and I had a, I think, an advantage coming into comics because I, for all the years of tabletop gaming work I did, I spent a lot of time working with artists. So I have a good understanding of relationships with artists in terms of concept art for my tabletop stuff. Um, you know, actual art for the different books and stuff I created. And I knew if I was going to do comics, like this is never, this is not a knock at any creative because making a comic at any level is hard, but it's the difference between like a professional or a well-done comic and, you know, let's call it like a, a lower tier indie Facebook comic is drastic. Like art isn't everything. Story is huge. But I think if I was going to, when I decided I was going to do this, I was going to do everything in my power and, find a way to be able to pay for good artists to make it look as good as possible. So I wanted, you know, my two goals for Wolven Press that I tell people are, I want the books to look like as professional and well done as anything you can find on a comic books shop store uh, shelf, even if you're getting up from Kickstarter. Uh, and I wanted like the design and the branding, you know, everything to be memorable. So that's kind of what I'm shooting for. Yeah, and just looking through the first two issues, like you can tell that that's accomplished. Like, it's not, it, it doesn't give that old vibe of a Kickstarter book. Like, this does feel like something that I could see. I guess the best uh, praise I could give it is something that like Image would put out. The quality yeah. of the art is at that level. Um, and I was really yeah. like thrown blown away by it. It was great. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I'll credit to the artists, of course. Ben Worrell is the series artist. I mean, I had an amazing time working with him. Uh, he did such a good job of bringing the different mutants to life and giving this world, you know, kind of an atmosphere and a feel that was really matched the tone of the book and also, you know, really paralleled, you know, the feelings and emotions that the story was trying to convey as well. Yeah, I don't want to give away any story beats, but there's... It's the first page of issue two. Do you mind if I give a little bit away? Yeah, be my guess. Spoiler so, alert, anybody? But yes, for sure. Yeah, quick spoiler. But it's you had the character and like part of his face was mutating. Yeah, and then it slowly showed it like going back to normal, 
And that first image of the character's face, like almost like two face where like half of his face was mutated and all. I just, I could sit in front of a piece of paper for 10 years and not come up with that. (laughs) It just, the level of detail and everything that he put into that image was just stunning. I, I loved that immediately was just like, to me, like this is, it, like you said, it adds an authenticity. It's something worth reading. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just want to, yeah, I just want, I'm finding new ways to say, like, I really love the art. <laughs> I, no, I appreciate that. Like one of the themes of the book was obviously the main storyline is about, you know, Claire, the, the main uh, protagonist, like becoming pregnant in her journey. But also that character you just mentioned, his name is Axel. He's kind of the secondary story thread. And it's about him you know, he gets affected by the mutation and the toxin and immediately, you know, mutates to a point where his this mutation is unexpected. You never know what it's going to do to you. And then these mutants become shunned by the human race, right? Like they don't have to, they don't, there's no hard and fast rules about this, but nobody wants to see their future because the inevitable for every person is their own mutation. So they kind of get shunned by the human race and they get pushed out. And it was interesting to explore that kind of a, a thread of a storyline, but what Ben did with the character and the emotion, you know, that he brought to the look and feel of it to really, really paralleled what I was hoping, you know, readers would, uh, would get out of that. Yeah. And that's something that's hard to find any artist, even at a big two or quote unquote, mainstream comics, emotion in a character. And then not only that, but just like the difference in the character's look and the face and everything is really hard to do and right. yeah he killed it on that yeah i appreciate that i'll pass on the compliment <laughs> so yeah another thing we talked about earlier but i absolutely love that you did this right here um saying that the book oh, is sure. coming to direct market like it's that shows that it's not about just the money that like hey i get what you're here on kickstarter but these guys are printing it too. It'll be out. I mean, unfortunately you said it was delayed, but uh, it'll be out your local comic shop as well. It was really cool mm-hmm. to see on the campaign. Cause I don't think a lot of people do that. They try to hide that fact a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of publishers will do that. Um, you know, a lot of pe- publishers will pick up books that were kickstarted through like a whole story arc after the fact, and they don't mention it. There's other really cool indie publishers like band of bards and others that are doing that now. And I think you'll see that become the trend as, Kickstarter picking up more and more steam. You know, it's becoming, I think the amount of comics in Kickstarter is like exponentially more now than it was even a couple of years ago, um, which, you know, does make marketing and standing out more challenging. But as a consumer of comics, you know, you have the, the world is your oyster in terms of what you can find on there. Yeah, it's definitely created a shift in the market because you're seeing uh, less of a middle class for lack of a better term here but less of a middle class and Kickstarter and way more competition, which in one way is great for someone like me who's going on there and trying to find good books. Right. But another way is not so great for some creators who were maybe making two or three times what they are today on the platform because there's so much there, but right. it, it, that's the open market. That's, you know, that's yeah, yeah, how it goes. No, no. Yeah. It's bound to happen. And, you, and then you have like the, you know, the berserks and like the good omens now, like all these big, big times books that could do really well in the direct market, but are also coming to Kickstarter, which I think there's historically been 
a very big divide in the people that support you know the local comic store and buy direct market books and people that buy off Kickstarter. Like there's not a lot of crossover. Um, and any publisher will tell you this too in their research. So that's why publishers are like, you know, do your book on Kickstarter and then we'll bring it to the direct market because you're not cannibalizing your own business a lot. But I think that's going to change. I think the a lot of the, the you know historically traditionally direct market comic readers will realize like shit. There's a lot of good stuff on Kickstarter. I should get over there and. That's, I guess, people that, not just the big two, like the big two people that read Marvel and DC, that's always probably going to be a direct market, but indies are thriving on Kickstarter. It's only going to get better. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a divide in the Kickstarter community. And I'm still, I'm, I was on one side at one point, but I've kind of changed my, my view and I'm not really sure how I feel. And I'd love to hear your, your feelings on it. It's the people yeah. who see like the booms to be particular and no offense to boom. I love you. Boom. But, uh, being on Kickstarter and kickstarting books that would obviously make money in direct market. Like there's no way that this book isn't going to make money in direct market, kickstarting it and then bringing it to direct market and saying, there's one side saying, well, this sucks because they're sucking up all the steam from Kickstarter. And the other side saying, well, they're bringing more people to the platform, just trickling down. And all that. I was on the the side of like this really sucks because I don't think it's trickling down at all. I think they're just stealing money from other people, not stealing, yeah. taking away customers from other people. Do you have a feeling on that? Or- yeah. So it's that's a really interesting topic because I've thought about this a lot over the years with tabletop gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, when three D printing first got popular, I would say six or seven years ago, there was a lot of people, including myself, who were like the first really early kind of leading people in the market, selling 3D printable stuff and doing Kickstarters for this. And it was it was like the heyday of it, right? Because there wasn't, for consumers, there wasn't a lot of stuff available. And then really big gaming companies that had, you know, giant resin printing warehouses and didn't need to be on Kickstarter were starting to do these Kickstarters that were making, you know, a million dollars and sucking all the air out of the room, a lot of people thought. But I'm uh, kind of on the on the side that you mentioned before, like, you know, the the free market is going to always win out. You know, mm-hmm. it's whether we want to like be upset because, oh, they're there now. Like it's going to happen. It's up to it's up to us to plan for that, figure out how we can capitalize on that and coexist. And every market will have corrections. Like I think two years from now, a lot of the people that are creating comics on Kickstarter that aren't that are doing because they think like I could just get on there and make some money or just, you know, fund my comic quickly will dry up and disappear if they're not into it for the long haul. Um, and the interesting thing about Kickstarter is that you can't do in the direct market that I think is fun that I think every publisher should get on board with is the relationship you have with your buyers during a campaign. Mm-hmm. Like you can, you know, unlocking stretch goals, having feedback, being able to in real time, add new stuff to the campaign, you know, getting like viral sharing, like all that kind of stuff. You can't do that in a diamond preview. Like that's, there's no world of that. So those kinds of interactions and things is what smart publishers should be trying to build right now. Yeah, well, I guess ha- I don't have an opinion on if it's good or bad necessarily. We'll see, but it's going to happen whether we want it to or not. Yeah, and having somebody like the face of your company in this market to be like, this is why we're here and this is how we're going to do good and this is how it's good for you, the consumer. Like you you need kind of that right. person out there uh, talking to your to the customers like you are and so many creators are. 
And unfortunately, right. that tends to land on the creator a lot of times, even at the big companies. <laughs> I mean, dude, that that's that's any that's whether you're in the direct market or not. Like, there's so many stories about people that are, you know, get get a book published by a a, a higher tier publisher, um, or picked up by a publisher that they're like, yes, this is it. I'm going to create the book. They're going to do the marketing for me, and then the publisher does basically nothing. Like, it's it seems like in this day and age, it falls on the creators to do so much of their own marketing. And a lot of people are finding there's not a lot of value in that. Um, you mentioned Pat Chand earlier, like I'm in a couple of different discords that groups where there's him and like Charlie Stickney, who used to be at scout who does yep. the Galarian white ash stuff. Now, like he, he preaches from the rooftops. Like if you're a creative and you want to make comics, the direct market does not support making money really anymore in the current day and age. And you're beholden to different things that don't make sense. And you should just take control of your own destiny get out there, market and sell your stuff yourself. And that, I mean, it, it makes complete sense. Yeah. What's funny to me and you know, not that I'm, I'm not a big deal or anything, but I see these, cause I've seen a few of them go from super indie Kickstarter and you go one of these places and go to mm-hmm. the big two and I'm not going to name names, but, and then when a lot of us on my level who were interviewing them and, promoting their stuff, talk to them, be like, oh, you're doing this big thing at X publisher now? Come on the show and talk about it. And the first thing they always tell me is, well, I'm not allowed. They don't let me go on your show. I'm like, so you have to promote your own stuff, but you can't yeah. do it on the shows you've been doing it on <laughs> because we're not cool enough. Or, I mean, we're not big enough <laughs> is what it really is. Um, but man. yeah, it's it's sad how that market works. But you got to wonder who's making those decisions. Like, I don't know. I'll, I'll badmouth the person in marketing who's making that decision. Cause you think you want, you want the people who are supporting indie comics and doing it because they love books, not because they're getting some paycheck to do so. And they work for some big media outlet. Like these are the kind of, for lack of a better term, like grassroots outlets that, you know, you and I love comics. We're doing this because we love it. We're not yeah. making shit tons of money. Like that's the kind of people you think they would want promoting yourself. Yeah. And even, if I bring one person to buy, like, I don't know, you, you still got one more person. I, I, I'm always confused by it. I do understand how like a Marvel or DC or yeah. image is thinking about tens of thousands of issues, not one or two, but right. It's still just, it, it always rubbed me the wrong way. Cause I'm like, I hear all these stories of how even at the big two, three publishers, the creators are expected to go out there and, promote the book and make it a success. Right. But then they're not allowed to at certain places. It's confusing I know. to me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been interesting as I've gotten more into comics and I'd like to make a, I you know my plan is to make a very long-term run at this for, you know, to bring my own stories to life. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of folks whose goals, you know, of creating their own comics is to get recognition, build, you know, an audience and eventually get hired to do, to write series at the big two that they've wanted to write their whole lives. And that's an admirable goal. I don't take that away from anybody, but that is not, I'm not even remotely interested in that. I would turn down a job offer to do that because I just want to make my own, my own stories. And honestly, like I truly appreciate folks like yourself that are willing to sit down with me and talk about this because making comics is, can be pretty lonely at times. Like I'm other than the artists and the people I work with that I, you know, kind of email and chat with over discord or whatever, like very rarely am I sitting down face to face with somebody, especially in this day and age and talking about, my comics. So I appreciate this 
if you know if nothing else at least for the conversation but obviously of course I'm, anyone that wants to listen and, and check out the book is great too but i just appreciate chatting with like-minded folks something i, I never asked somebody would be interested as somebody who writes solo do you ever wonder what it's like to be a part part of one of these uh writers groups like you know i the most popular that comes to mind is like jackson langsley and colin kelly they write everything together have yeah. you ever done that before or have you ever thought like what is that like so yeah actually so i will say i don't i write some stuff by myself but a couple of books including tox is actually co-written um tox is, is co-written with eric palicki who's actually a, an amazing uh writer and that's a that is my favorite part of the process the books that i've written and co-created with people it's a so much of a more fun creative process because you know you're riffing off each other and you can fix errors earlier in the process you can kind of both have a shared vision for how stuff comes together and you have so many more creative juices than me just kind of like going off and doing it by myself and i would say like the, the ignis quadrant which is purely my creation i you know i come up with the stuff by myself is the kind of like imagine that as like your D D group where like you got every weird character from life in there and it's super fun but like you lose some sessions and you're like, I'm not even sure if we made any progress tonight, but I had a lot of fun. Like mm -hmm. that's kind of that for me. But like the co-writing is where you're like, if like this is like a well televised podcasted shared, like live play group where we want to like everyone to enjoy it. It's kind of like how those feel differently. It's I, I want to try it sometime because well, in my head, it's just, it sounds like so much fun. Like just you and a friend being like, and then he does this. And then <laughs> maybe I'm like, dramatizing yeah. it in my head but like it just seems like so much fun to sit down with somebody like okay this is the idea so then we just craft it together somehow i don't know it, yeah. there's something romantic about it and, and you know in terms of creating that comes to me yeah there's different a lot of different ways to do it too like the one that i've historically done the couple times i've co-written here is like since it's my idea i'll kind of flesh out the worlds the idea like the rough story beats and everything and then bring in like in the case of Tox, it was I kind of came up with the the flow of the story, and then Eric, who is a professional, substantially better than me writer, did the actual writing of like page. Like here's the the panel, here's the this and this, and then we worked together to edit it, and with the help of an editor. Um, so that's an example of where like I wanted to make sure that this story was really really well done um, professionally, and then there's other ones where I've done it all myself, uh, which is good too, but the times when I've worked with other people, you just, like I said, you have, there's more creativity, but you can like having partners you can trust and that, you know, are better than you. Like I love when artists, I have, I describe a frame and I'm like, this is what we should do. And the artist is like, this is not the best way to do this. We should change your perspective. Here's my idea. And I'm like, yeah, you're obviously an artist. Like I'm going to trust your opinion on this. Yeah. Yeah. I, th that's another thing. Like what the artist comes back with. Yeah, you gotta get that feeling of like I had this cool idea, but th that's way cooler. That, <laughs> that thing is way yeah. cooler that you brought back to me, especially with your art team you got here. That's one of the funnest parts about creating comics. Is like, you know, that I'll keep I'll stay on this D and D analogy because you're a kindred spirit. But like, you know, when you go through these scenes, I've personally had a couple times when I had scenes in play where I'm like, "Fuck, I should I should commission somebody." to just make me a piece of art for this, just so I can like see what this would look like visually, not just in my imagination. And now imagine you have every day, like the, for me, it's an addiction at this point. I try to have a couple of stories going at a time 
where I'm getting new art in my inbox from an artist, hopefully every day, so I can see some of this. And it's like these these stories and these visions. Suddenly, I'm seeing them, every, you know, in my inbox every day. It is it is the best drugs that I've ever found so far. It's amazing. It's <laughs> so cool. That's great to hear, man. So, I guess so. To wrap things up a little bit, we got the Kickstarter. Yeah. You are. As we're recording, hopefully when this launches, you'll you'll be funded, and we can talk about you can talk about stretch goals then. But yeah, for you sure, still got a little bit to go. Um, have you thought at all about stretch goals, or is that something? Yeah, that you don't... if you scroll down a little bit, I'll actually there is a couple posted. Um, in the first campaign, I did two postcards. You got to scroll down, probably two thirds of the way or so. Here's some of that awesome art I was talking about. Everybody, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, right there. Oh yeah. So in the first campaign, I did two of these postcards, just kind of like a fun tongue-in-cheek, hello from the wasteland. Um, and then we have two more of these that will be stretch goals for this campaign. So if you back at a physical level um, and we get to the stretch goal level, which I'm confident we will, you'll get these included in your package. And for folks coming who didn't back the first campaign, I have extras from the first campaign, so you'll get all four of the set. So you can send your grandma uh, a hello from the waste, wasteland postcard or put it on your desk or do whatever you want. <laughs> Oh, I just imagine my grandmother getting this. I'm waiting for I, some I stories image, of, of people sending these to people. Yeah, it's and some of these covers do it. We didn't talk enough about these uh, variant covers, but it, maybe you can say something now because you got some great covers here yeah. too. So what a lot of folks don't know about or think about, I guess, with Kickstarter, when you're in it for kind of a longer haul like I am, the goal of a Kickstarter is like very rarely does a Kickstarter pay for the books. Like these books cost three to $4,000 an issue to create um, with the art and everything. And very few Kickstarters, you know, unless you're like a really well-established creator pay for that. And then you have the cost of the printing, which is, you know, depending on how big of a size of print run you do between one to two and a half dollars an issue shipping, all this stuff. But the, the goal of these Kickstarters is primarily to pay for a print run substantially larger than what you need for the Kickstarter. So then you have back stock to be able to sell in future Kickstarters and at cons. So, um, you know, the, my strategy here with all these variant covers is I want to be able to, at a, at a con, local or otherwise, be like, you know, set out some different, all these different uh, single issues that have just drastically different and interesting covers to catch people's eyes and try to get backers that might be interested in different kinds of art. So we'll see how that shakes up. But that's my thesis. I mean, you got cool ones. Uh, I'll say that. Especially, I mean, these two right here, cover A and uh, cover C for issue three, are just awesome images. And then, yeah. And this, that's one thing I did too. Like that one with the lock symbol is uh, direct market only. So you'll only be able to get that one pre ordered or if they get it in stock at your local comic shop. Which I, I find important too for if you're going the direct market route, it's, a small thing, but I don't know. There's something about it. Like, don't just reprint the Kickstarter cover. Right. It, like it just, I don't know. It's small. It's almost petty, but as a consumer, I'm just like, okay, that just seems right. Shitty. But I, <laughs> so I like that you I mean, did that. And once again, here yeah. for issue four, publishers don't have to let creators, you know, kickstart their crap from their books. I guess that's obviously a decision for the creator too, if they want to go with that publisher, if they won't let him do that. But I'm a believer in like make an effort to make your direct market release different and interesting to try to capitalize and kind of get some crossover crossover 
purchasers and stuff as well. Look at this guy right here. Blake? Yeah, you what know Blake? Fuck? What the fuck? He hired Blake. You know that guy's uh, a yeah. Kansas City Chiefs fan, right? Yeah, well, I'm so far outside of football. I used to I'm from Wisconsin, so I used to be a Packers fan and once COVID hit, I just forgot football even existed. So I'm an Eagles fan, so I'm angry at him because I have to be angry yeah. at somebody for that Super Bowl. No, I love you, Blake. <laughs> I do. So yeah, you got a you got a good looking creative team here too. I love it. Yeah, so, not only can we create comics, we look good on paper. I mean, that's uh, in some cases more important, right? Like, <laughs> so yeah, like we said, the the campaign when this airs has a few days left, uh, so everybody should go check it out. Um, we got some stretch goals. Look forward to awesome covers, all that stuff. Uh, if people want to follow you for this campaign, the future campaign, do you make uh, terrible life decisions like being on social media? Yeah, I, unfortunately, it's it's a requirement at this point. Um, I will say yep. so. If you want to check out the Kickstarter, um, I have a, a domain that redirects to it. It's toxcomic t o x x comic dot com. And then I'm on social media, uh, Wolven, W-O-L-V-E-N underscore press. I'm on the old uh, the old Twitter X, whatever that thing is called these days, and Facebook, Instagram, and I'm checking out Blue Sky and, and uh, what's the Instagram one, Threads. I don't know. There's so many social medias these days. I'm trying to keep up with it. Dude, I got a whole page on my phone because you got Threads, you got oh, Hive, yeah. you got Blue Sky, you got X going to give it to you. Uh, it's so much <laughs> yeah. going on. Nice. And uh, I can barely keep up with just one. Oh, so <laughs> way too much work. Like I'm just, it'd be so much better for all of our sanity if we just quit them all. But our, you know, we got to help people find our books. Yeah, and then people keep inviting me to discords because I don't know. Apparently, people like me or something. I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> <laughs> I have those some fun discords. I have some good dialogue, and some of those other ones that I'm just like, I might have to turn these notifications off right now. I, I love Discord to be honest. I, I mess around on it a lot and um like you we're probably in some of the same ones together too, but I just sit there and listen to Pat and Charlie talk to each other nonstop. And I'm just like, this is fascinating. I should be yeah. working right now, but this is fascinating everyone. I don't know how those guys like they have the output they do and they're always there answering questions, always like with advice. Like I respect the hell out of those guys. I, yeah, Charlie confuses me because I could ask him the stupidest question and he'll like answer it with this huge like thread. And I'm like, dude, I asked you like, what's better, peanut butter or jelly? Like, just <laughs> chill, man. <laughs> He's like, look, I'm going to tell you that, but I'm going to tell you a lot more. <laughs> so everybody out there watching and or listening, you know the drill. Links in the show notes down below to the Kickstarter. So check that out. I promise you the book is gorgeous. I've said it a million times in this interview. And uh, you will not be disappointed. So, uh, Evan, thanks so much for stopping by, chatting with me. Yeah. I appreciate it, and I look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks for having me.